So today's passage is very interesting. But before to go into that passage, um, I actually want to tell you a story. And the story is the story of John Wilson. Uh, I don't know if anyone of you knows that or knows him. John was a guy who used to work in a factory just in Yorkshire. Um, and he has been affected just like the many of us by the living of course, the, the rising of the prices of, on everything. Um, and he was kind of even joking about that. John was a funny guy and he used to say like inflation. Everyone names it, but no one knows it except by Plantifer. And Plantifer is the competitor, was the competitor factory of where John worked. One day the post came through the door of John and he wished it was a birthday card actually, but it was not, it was the bill, the electricity and gas bill. As for everyone else, the prices rose. At first, John didn't pay much attention to that bill. He said, you know, I, I have a good relationship with my boss. I can ask him to, you know, extend my working hours to give me some more working hours or even to rise my wage up. But the same day, John went through the, in his office and the boss called him and said, John, can you come to my office? And he said, I'm sorry to say that I have to cut off some of your working hours. Due to the inflation, I cannot give you any more that wage that I give you. It's a government choice, I can do anything about it. But you can go actually and ask to Plantifer, the competitor factory, if they can give you some working hours as they have opened a new line. But John was scared of doing that because he was scared of losing his, also, his own job as well. I don't know if you know John Wilson. I personally don't know John Wilson. Uh, it was just an invented story, which kind of retell us um, the account of Samuel in a modern day view. Samuel was in a situation that was not depending on his own decision, just like John. John did not decide to have the rising of bills. He did not use more of his gas or more of his electricity. But it surely was as there was a sense of hopelessness and fear in that situation. And probably that story, the story of John and the story of Samuel today is familiar to many of us in here. Before to analyze this passage and to go actually straight to the text, we must take some step backward and see uh, what Samuel's experience with the monarchy was, with the choice of a king. Initially, we remember that Samuel was opposing this choice of a king. He was warning the people of Israel to say, with all the bad uh, things, all the bad scenarios that could cause to have a king. But it didn't work. It didn't work because the people chose a monarchy. And that was something that Samuel knew. It wouldn't end well. It wouldn't finish well. In fact, we saw last week with the brilliant preaching of Joe, we saw that Samuel was rejected as a king. And although Samuel predicted that, although Samuel knew that that would have been the end of Israel and of the king, it, that was not something that Samuel cherished for because he surely cared for so. But above all, I think he saw where the people of Israel were going to go, further away from God. And we see that in the first three verses 
we see that that situation caused him trouble, hopelessness for the future, and fear for his own life. I guess Samuel's main question at that moment was, what's going to happen next? And in fact, all this situation, this situation of hopelessness for the future and fear for his own life, is, <laughs> is summarized in one simple question that Samuel himself asked to God. How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. How many times do we find ourselves in similar, similar situations? Not because of choices that we made. Surely, hopelessness is that type of soil. I like to describe hopelessness in this way. That is like a soil where fear, the seed of fear, grows more and more and more. And stronger and stronger and stronger. To the point that we don't see nothing else but this huge mountain before us. And we stand still there. And not because we are courageous like God said to Joshua, stand still. But because we are afraid actually. And Samuel was in the same place at that moment. A leader of leaders. A man who was feared by city's leaders. A man who cannot be shaken. Probably. A man who was scared of his own life. A man of God who was scared for his own life. And a man who was actually scared of his own people. What's going to happen to his, to his own people? How can I go? He says. An interesting thing is that to that question, actually, God doesn't give a, um, you know, a methodology of what's going to happen. You know, you go there, I'm going to be with you. He just said, go. Trust me and go. Trust me and do it. You know, the irony that I've tried to use in the passage of um, John's story, that John has to go to work in the competitor factory, is kind of found in this passage. When Samuel, you know, knew what happened to the previous king, and now he has to go and choose another king. And actually that is uh, God's plan to choose a king now. There is a sense of irony. But actually, the best is yet to come. The climax of the irony, I think, is that when Samuel goes and he decides to trust God with the, you know, the probability that Saul will attack him and will kill him in the back of his mind, so Samuel has to choose for a king. And none of the huge, gigantic uh, Jesse's sons are to be a king. None of those people who looks like they can face the soul, the unit, can uh, were choose as a king. But just David, the young and tiny David. You know, Samuel, we see in this passage, verse 7, that Samuel was quite convinced of how to choose a king. We saw that with Saul, he said, he is you know, very high, he's taller than much more of his own people, he's strong, he looks beautiful. And he was kind of applying the same rule to also choose the new king. But God said this, God once again reminds his prophet in verse 7, I don't look at things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
I don't look at the, at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. How amazing is that? What a beautiful invitation it is. An invitation for Samuel and for everyone who seeks God to not stop at what it seems to define identity, but to go deeper. To look beyond the appearance of people. To go beyond the surface and to seek what is good and to work on that or from that. And this is even more beautiful, even more amazing, if we think that this is not only applicable for the circumstance of David, of the choice of a new king, but it's something that we can apply for us today as well. God knows you. God knows our thoughts. God knows our heart in deep. In Psalm 139, many years later, when uh, David the newly chosen king was actually um, a king, affirmed king. He says this in Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you examine me and you know me. This is such a beautiful reminder that doesn't matter who we are, God knows us. God knows in depth who we are. God knows in depth our own identity. I remember, you know, that a while ago now, uh, not, that, not that long ago, I'm still young, but <laughs> I remember that when I was working uh, for the first time, first work experience, um, I was serving someone that I never met before, uh, someone I never got introduced to and someone I never introduced myself to. And all of a sudden, this guy, so I was a waiter and was serving him, and this guy all of a sudden called me by name. Matteo, can you come here? I said, oh, how can you know my name? I said, how do you know my name? I was frightening. I said, are you someone from the FBI or something like that? I don't know. Did I do anything wrong? I don't know. But um, from that day on, actually, I began to use this game. And every time, every time I can you know, understand someone's name, I used to call him by name when I was serving him. I don't know. Here you are, Mr. Smith. Here you are, John. You know. And they were surprised sometimes because they never said, my, they never said to me their own names. And some, sometimes this was helpful. You know, this game was helpful even to grant some tips for me. You know, <laughs> Just a couple of times, sadly. <laughs> but in this passage, we are taught that God does not only know us by name, but he actually knows us in the depth of our thoughts, in the depth of our minds, in the bottom of our hearts. And I think this can be frightening or can be encouraging. Even when, uh, you know, like Samuel, you know, I think it can be frightening in the case we have very evil thoughts. But in the case that we are like Samuel and we, and we find ourselves in the situation of fear, in the situation of hopelessness, I think that's very encouraging. Now, can you imagine like a world where there is nothing beyond fear, a world where life is stopped for hopelessness, a world in which Samuel didn't choose to trust God, but actually chose to continue to mourn, for his hopelessness, for his fear. 
there will be no reason to live because there will be everything to fear. There will be no one who can comfort you, no one who can comfort uh, the sense of insecurity, the sense of being drift uh, on the right and on the left according to the wind, where no one can actually help you. I think that word would be the word like Saul was living in. A world that is unable to find peace, assurance, as it, as it is constantly and rapidly changing direction, a world that cannot find its own identity and its own peace, because that can be found only in the God Spirit. And we see that when David goes and comforts Saul. But we have this, uh, this assurance. We have the assurance that there is a God who says, trust me. Last week, uh, Joe said something that really stuck to my heart and was, we have to deal with the God that is. And that circumstance was about his holiness. But in this passage, we actually see that there is a God who cares and a God who looks and a God who does. How God works in the present age to restore the hope in his people. In verse 1, we see that God appointed one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem. And the immediate, we see that, that that new king will be David. But later down the line and in time, we see that the king from the line of Jesse will be Jesus Christ from Bethlehem. It is, it is in Jesus that we find not only the person that will comfort us or the God that will look at our, eye, in our hearts sorry, and in our minds, but we will see the God that actually is able to sympathize with us with our, with our sense of fear and stress. In Luke 22, verses 39 to 44, just before to get rest, Jesus, on the Mount of Olives, he says this. We see the humanity of Jesus in this passage that touched me every time I read it. Jesus is scared about his own life, probably is even hopeless, I don't know. But knowing that he would have faced death and scared about that, he says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and this sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And, yeah, I've been looking into that meaning. You know, if it's possible actually to sweat blood, and there is that, you know, if there's a a low stress or a situation of fear, you'll be able to, to sweat blood. And there has been a recent case just documented about that, about a girl they were stressed with their own exam at school, and she was sweating blood in her face. 
So I believe, I truly believe that this passage is true. And this is another demonstration that the God that we worship and the God who is reaching out to you and calling you is able to sympathize with your stress and with your hopeless condition and fear. In fact, many people will complain about that, that governors or kings or queens or whoever it is, they are very far away to reach. But it's not the same with God. God is stretching out his hand towards you and toward us every single day. And because he knows our hearts and he sees in our mind and he knows what we are going through every single day, he is there and he is able to sympathize. The same God who said to Samuel to trust him in the midst of uncertainties, he gave us a king, Jesus, a king who does not only allow you to be scared of present times, but actually understands you, understands your fear, understands your, understands your stress, and encourages you to move on in the assured hope of a joyful eternity. You know, there are even those moments in which, I think there are many moments in which we, the only thing we would like to do is to blame God because we are in situations that we do not decide to be, circumstances that we do not plan to be. But we see that the only thing that can actually pull us out from that situation is by trusting God. And by trusting God, we can see that fear do not define our own identity. Because we have a Savior King who is able to sympathize with us, who is able to sympathize with our own struggles and fears. A King who gives us hope. Just like King David, I bet he raised hope in Samuel when God chose them. So, I really want to encourage you, and I was really encouraged by this, by this passage in moving on in those situations of uh, fear, of stress. And I, I was encouraged by moving on. Do not stop at the mountain, at the huge block. Do not be stopped by what's going on now in the world. Just trust God.